Focus on Headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio today, we have our usual Wednesday reporters in Handan and Yoon Hae-jung. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. All right, so we're going to start things off with Japan's imminent release of the wastewater from the wrecked Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. Uh, we've been talking about it uh, extensively all throughout this week. We finally uh, have a time set for when they're going to be releasing this. Of course, the announcement being first made uh, some two years and four months ago by uh, then uh, Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga. And now come tomorrow afternoon, uh, the official discharge of the wastewater from the nuclear power plant will happen. Tan, uh, what do we know so far in regards to this process? Well, according to Kyoto News Agency, the Japanese government and Tokyo Electric Power Corporation will likely begin releasing the treated nuclear wastewater into the Pacific Ocean at around 1 p.m. tomorrow. Final arrangements are being made, and that is widely expected to be the exact time of the highly publicized, highly feared water release. If it actually begins tomorrow, it'll come 12 years after the strong earthquake and tsunami rattled eastern Japan in 2011. Yesterday, TEPCO began its final inspection on whether its water treatment system called the ALPS Advanced Liquid Processing System is working properly. It sent one metric ton of nuclear contaminated water to the treatment facility and mixed it with over 1,200 tons of seawater in a large water tank in its last preparation before the discharge. If the water is purified to contain less than 1,500 becquerels per liter of tritium, which is the required standard for the release, Japan will likely go ahead and begin the discharge tomorrow afternoon. So, of course, there are a number of countries that are concerned with this. Uh, China has uh, sent their opposition to the release of the uh, the wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant. But, of course, us, us here uh, in South Korea being that it is one of the closest nations to Japan geographically. Uh, now, in response to this, the IAEA has established a special mechanism with uh, Korea to ensure safety, uh, not to mention address the concerns of the Korean people. So, Tan, how exactly does this system work, though? Well, it's called the IAEA ROK Fukushima Information Mechanism, or IKFIM for short. The system has four major points that'll help ensure the safety of the Korean people and surrounding environment. First is the IAEA's regular provision of related information to South Korea. When Japan discharges contaminated water, the IAEA collects various data to evaluate whether the water is treated properly and discharged according to safety standards as planned. And this near real-time monitoring data will be provided to Korea by the nuclear watchdog on a regular basis. Second is holding regular virtual meetings. Both sides will designate the person in charge and share the latest information, uh, and the nuclear watchdog will give a comprehensive explanation of various data. A Q&A session will also be held during the regular meeting. The online meeting is likely to be held every day or every week during the initial stages of the discharge. 
And third is immediate notification to South Korea in the event of abnormal activities. Abnormal activities include when activities different from previously approved plans occur or when figures don't match the previously set safety standards. And fourth is allowing South Korean experts visit to the IAEA office at the Fukushima site in case of these abnormal activities or when questions arise regarding any of uh, the data provided by the IAEA. The agency has set up a permanent office at the Fukushima plant to monitor and assess the water discharge to ensure that the relevant international safety standards continue to be applied. The agency said the mechanism is a concrete follow-up to the director general's visit to Korea in July and highlighted that it reflects the agency's proactive engagement with Korea uh, and address legitimate concerns of the Korean public. But there are criticisms with regards to the mechanism between Korea and the IAEA. Some point out that the IAEA's monitoring is largely based on data provided by TEPCO and the agency has its own limits to meticulously comb through possible problems of all the complex procedures. Likewise, the main task of the IAEA office in Fukushima is to review data provided by TEPCO and see if there are any hazards or risks to TEPCO's plan, meaning experts at the at IAEA will have their limits as they're not directly involved in running tests or examining water samples themselves. So they say it's difficult to trust the IAEA's monitoring 100%, even if it says there are no scientific or technical problems to the water release procedures because they too heavily rely on data provided by TEPCO. Some also argue that the agency should allow permanent stay of South Korean experts there instead of just allowing short-term visits whenever there's a problem. So, again, we've mentioned before that the release of the wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant is inevitable. And so the next best thing for South Korea to get is transparency and all the data to make sure that everything coming out uh, is safe. This has some red flags. Now, the reason why the IAEA is involved with all of this is so that they get the unbiased analysis and the unbiased decisions. Uh, they're the unbiased decision makers, apparently, right? And which is why when the IAEA came out saying that despite there's been, despite the fact that there's been some criticism from some of the nuclear experts that maybe the release of the contaminated water is not so safe uh, for the oceans, the IAEA unbiasedly said that uh, the results that they have and the analysis that they have is okay. So. To have an IAEA office in Fukushima should mean that they're conducting their own independent analysis and show and match that with the analysis provided by TEPCO and see if it matches up and if there's any red flags that they're supposed to be the ones that are regulating all this. To me, this seems like if they're basically just getting data from TEPCO and going, listen, this is what's going on. It's like you guys ever watch the Olympics and there's the, uh, the, the swimming competition. If you watch the swimming competition in the Olympics, there's lifeguards. That's like the most useless uh, job in the all of the Olympics, having lifeguards when there's professional swimmers there. And this is what it seems like right now, because what's the point of monitoring information that's straight given from TEPCO here? So I could understand why there are criticism here, but as long as there's transparency and there's safety guaranteed, and again, I mean, I think the most important thing now is going to be for the South Korean experts to uh, go into uh, the office and get the data themselves is going to be the other important thing here. Uh, but nevertheless, 
As we said, the discharge of the wastewater from Fukushima is now just a day away. We have Busan's uh, fisheries industry and local governments busy coming up with countermeasures to tamp down public anxiety. Uh, Hejang, let's get more on this. Sure. The Busan Cooperative Fish Market, which sells 30% of the country's seafood, will convene an emergency meeting of five major fisheries cooperatives on the 25th to discuss government measures and ways to promote seafood consumption. Now, they'll be discussing measures to reassure citizens, defending seafood price through seafood purchases, and compensation for damage caused by rumors related to the contaminated water. The Busan Cooperative Fish Market has even introduced a late-night rapid inspection system to complete radiation tests before the start of the auctions, and as retailers such as supermarkets often request radiation test results from wholesalers before the fish is delivered, it is reported that the fish market is reviewing the option of issuing a certificate that wholesalers can use. They're also considering the option of disclosing the results of fish radiation tests to the public on a daily basis to ease concerns. Now, frontline local governments are also planning consumption promotion campaigns to alleviate consumer anxiety. Seogu in Busan is planning to purchase two portable radiation testing machines. The, the devices cost around three to $4,000, and although there are limitations to radiation testing, the district explains that simply showing that they are actively testing can tamp down citizens' worries. The city of Busan has also been busy preparing countermeasures as well. The city decided to install unmanned seawater surveillance networks in two additional locations and introduce additional equipment to test the radioactivity in seawater imported fish are delivered in. The safety of Busan's waters will also be cross-analyzed by comparing seawaters from the east, west, and south coasts of Busan's waters. For safe seafood products that have been scientifically and objectively verified, the city also plans to develop various seafood consumption promotion projects through campaigns and local festivals and events. So again, with this uh, unbiased testing uh, is going to be very important here. Just like Hejung said, if it's scientifically and objectively uh, verified, because one of the other things that you have to take into consideration for the fisheries, the, the, the sellers of these fish, their goal is to quell the worries as much as possible because I mean this they're trying to sell this right I mean they're really worried that the release of the uh, the water wastewater from Fukushima is going to you know prevent people from buying fish uh, you know that's coming in from Japan and mind you there are a lot of fish that do come in uh, from Japan and so there is a chance that maybe if the radiation uh, test is being conducted by the people within the fishery markets. I, I don't think the data is going to be that transparent. They're going to try to sell this, right? So in, in order to get this done and quell the, the worries of the, uh, the consumers, this has to be also uh, done independently as well. But uh, not just Busan, but I believe uh, others, other areas, like, for example, Jeju, I believe, should be uh, conducting these tests as well. Uh, in the meantime, the Japanese media says that the J Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has delayed the release from its initial date 
this in consideration of South Korean President Yoon Sung-yeol. Uh, Dan, what's this about? Well, according to Yomiuri Shimbun, the Kishida administration initially planned to begin the discharge in mid-August at the latest as the country's trawl fishing begins in September. So it originally planned to begin the release in early or mid-August to earn time to show the local fishing industry and the public the safety of the discharge. But Japan pushed its plan further towards the end of August, considering the South Korea-U.S.-Japan trilateral summit. Yomiyori reported that Japan needed to take President Yoon in consideration and delay the release until after the summit, as President Yoon has shown his understanding, despite vehement opposition and criticisms from the opposition parties. Yeah, but the topic of the discharge of the wastewater from Fukushima wasn't even discussed at the trilateral summit, but uh, President Yoon sung yeol has, of course, mentioned, made comments uh, in regards to that, right? But uh, even if the Japanese government uh, discharges the contaminated water from the Fukushima nuclear power plant, it is unlikely to make dramatic progress uh, towards the final goal of shutting down the crippled power plant. So, Hejong, what do we know so far in regards to this? Well, today, according to Japanese media, Sai Shimbun, it seems that the release of the water from the nuclear plant this year will not have a significant impact on the massive amount of contaminated water accumulated there. Now, according to their report, the Japanese government and plant operator TEPCO planned to discharge the contaminated water in order to tear down the contaminated water storage tanks where the nuclear fuel debris removed from the reactors is stored. Now, TEPCO will initially discharge 31,200 tons of contaminated water, or 2.3% of the current storage amount, over the course of four separate discharges by March next year. Now, this will be the start of a water release process that could take decades to complete. Considering that 90 to 100 tons of contaminated water is generated every day, the amount of water that can be reduced through the discharge by March next year is about 11,000 to 12,000 tons. The storage capacity of one tank is about 1,000 tons of contaminated water, so 11 to 12 tanks will be reduced. But the problem is that there is no schedule set so far for, for the full-scale removal of nuclear fuel debris from Fukushima's units 1 through 3, estimated to hold a total of 880 tons of debris. Now, according to Asai Shimbun, the trial removal of nuclear fuel from Unit 2 was scheduled to begin in 2021, but has been postponed twice due to delays in the development of necessary equipment. And the plan is to start removing it before March next year, but the amount will be only a few grams, and it is still unclear on how to remove large amounts of nuclear fuel debris. The Japanese government plans to complete the shutdown of the nuclear power plants and the discharge of contaminated water by 2051, but no specific method has been established for removing nuclear fuel debris, and there are no measures to prevent water from being contaminated from rain and groundwater. And according to Mainichi Shimbun, the concentration of radioactive material in the treated water in the tank varies, and it takes about two months to transfer for the treated water from the various tanks to separate tanks 
for treatment at the ALPS, the Advanced Liquid Processing System. So even Mainichi Shimbun, being a Japanese media outlet, assesses the 2051 decommissioning of the plant to be virtually impossible. So uh, the Mainichi Shimbun is, like you said, I mean, even though it's a Japanese outlet, it's one of the more progressive outlets, right? So, you know, in uh, Japan, there is the, the, the very, the also very uh, uh, conservative outlets. I think the Yomiuri Shimbun, I think, is uh, very conservative. And so the Mainichi Shimbun is, is one of the, the, the more progressive uh, outlets. And so... I, it's 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 interesting uh, how things are panning out and how the release of this uh, wastewater from Fukushima has kind of been a political uh, issue, right? Because even here in South Korea, it's I mean the ruling PPP, the conservative PPP, are sort of going. You know, we understand the uh, the current circumstances of Japan, and we're agreeing with the idea. Uh, although we want to make sure the safety of the Korean people comes first, uh, whereas I believe the the main opposition Democratic Party and some of the lawmakers are still very much in opposition uh, of the release of the, the the wastewater there. And you're seeing that even in Japan, where the progressive media outlets are very much against the idea, whereas the conservative media outlets are going, what are we going to do? I mean, this is inevitable. We're going to release it. This is how it is. But again, uh, this is something that's going to take place for 20 to 30 years is what they're saying. And so uh, we're probably going to be covering this all that and more. But for our listeners out there, as the release of the wastewater begins tomorrow, uh, we'll have an extensive coverage on this uh, with uh, possibly an expert joining us in our program. Uh, let's move on to other issues. Come back here in South Korea. The government is considering reviving uh, the conscripted police personnel system. Uh, this in order to tackle the rising violent crimes against random people that we've been seeing these days. Tana, tell us more about this. The government said today it'll actively consider reinstating the conscripted police personnel system, which allows military conscripts to serve in the police force instead of military service to assist with efforts to prevent crimes against random people and enhance public safety. Prime Minister Handoksu said the government would review the possibility of reintroducing the system of conscripted police officers that we call Uigyeong after first restructuring the existing police force. The system originally established in 1982 allowed military draftees to choose whether to join the military or assist police officers. As all South Korean men, except for a very few exceptions, are required to complete nearly two years of military service. But the system has been phased out since 2017 and was completely abolished in April this year. But amid rising public fears over the so-called don't ask stand stabbings against random people, the government assessed that there's a shortage in manpower for on-site security control and is now mulling to resume the abolished system. National Police Agency Commissioner General Yoon Hee-gun said around 30,000 out of a total of 140,000 police officers can be assigned to patrol duties on the streets. And he said talks will be conducted with the Defense Ministry to recruit between 7,500 
108,000 conscripted police personnel, adding that it would take around seven to eight months before the system is adopted. The announcement came as Koreans are still reeling from the shock of back-to-back stabbings in busy areas in the greater Seoul area and last week's rape and murder of a woman on a hiking trail in Seoul in broad daylight. And the fear of random crime has been further fueled by copycat crime threats uh, that have been uh, posted online, prompting law enforcement to intensify street patrols and stop and search operations for individuals exhibiting uh, suspicious behavior. And Hejong will have more details on this. Prime Minister said the government is treating the situation with the utmost seriousness, noting the ongoing special patrols will continue until public anxiety is relieved. The government is also actively seeking uh, legislation that would require life imprisonment without the possibility of parole for individuals convicted of these heinous crimes. It also plans to provide support for victims of random crimes, including the establishment of a one-stop support facility that offers various forms of legal, financial, and welfare assistance. The government and the ruling People Power Party reached an agreement to enhance support for victims, uh, potentially including financial aid to cover all associated treatment costs. It is going to be interesting. I mean, I'm not sure if there are specific data that proves that if there are more police officers uh, uh, in patrol, that uh, leads to a lower crime rate. For example, like you look at uh, New York City, right? New York City, I believe, has the largest police force in in all, like for a city, for the city, I'm ta- not talking about a country, but uh, the New York City Police uh, Department is the largest police force in all of the United States. Uh, and you still see a lot of these criminal activities happen. And so the bigger thing is, of course, will tougher punishments, uh, tougher laws then prevent uh, deter people from making these uh, crimes is the other question. So there's a lot of uh, back and forth going on. Is police force uh, increasing the number of police force going to help or uh, just, uh, you know, harsher punishments going to deter people from committing these crimes? But nevertheless, all that aside, we have to admit that things are out of whack right now here in South Korea. It's something that I have not seen uh, in the 14 years uh, that I have lived in the country. And I'm sure people that have lived here even longer or for the the, the entire life, uh, they have never seen anything like this where there's so many of these census crimes uh, that are happening. But also what's even more concerning is the fact that there are some people out there who think it's funny to post online threats, uh, thinking it's a joke. And I mean, the majority of them, it, they, it, it's a joke, but there are serious threats. There are actually people who post these threats and it's actual threats here. And the number of online threats that we're seeing is kind of uh, rising on the internet. So Hejong, how much, uh, how many of these threats are we actually seeing online these days? Well, according to the National Police Agency, they have identified 455 online murder threats as of 9 a.m. today, arresting 213 of the writers of the posts and detaining 20 of them. Now, the number of posts and arrests both increased by 12 just over a day, and no additional suspects were detained. Meanwhile, an office worker in his 30s was apprehended on Tuesday, a day after writing an anonymous post as a 
police employ on a popular online platform, declaring that he would commit a mass stabbing near exit number one of Gangnam Station in Seoul. The suspect was caught Tuesday, accused of writing a post on Blind, an online community and forum for verified employees. The police questioned the suspect about how he obtained the Blind account, which requires verification of police affiliation, and asked Blind to hand over account-related materials. And of course, the police and prosecution said that they are determined to seek stern punishment for those who are caught writing these online murder threats in consideration of growing public fears. And in response, Justice Minister Han Dong-un said that normally the writers of these posts would be released with just a warning, but recently the prosecution has been detaining them, even if they are minors, to send a firm message. He added that teenagers who post murder warnings do not seem to know the seriousness of the issue. The minister also added that the authorities are going to be as strict as possible in terms of punishment to such crimes and that Korea needs laws on charges of public intimidation, which is actually common in other developed countries. Yes. So um, it's interesting because like I'm going to base this on what I'm used to seeing like over in the United States. So depending on which court you go to and depending on which judge uh, that you're assigned to, there are some judges out there who are a lot more harsh on their punishments uh, than some of the more uh, lenient judges. And so a lot of the people who commit these crimes, they go, oh my goodness, I hope I get this judge. Or I hope get and then there's judges who out there uh, take uh, certain cases and try to make an example out of uh, any kind of future acts of such illegal acts, right? And so the thing that I don't say, especially with the minors, right? And we've talked about this with the whole age of criminal responsibility and so forth. And there's a lot of kids out there who go, oh, because we're young and we're not going to get punished and it's okay. Uh, this is not funny. And so they need to make an example out of also because I believe the vast majority of the people that have posted these uh, online murder threats are minors who thought it was funny to do so. Uh, they need to make an example out of them in order for kids to stop doing this. And of course, there needs to be tougher punishments in regards to people who actually post this even and if you're an adult right if you're an adult i don't know what your problem is but why i i just don't understand this people we that's why we have these terms like the keyboard warriors right people they're they're hiding behind this computer screens and their keyboards and they type things they're so brave and they feel like they're invincible but you're gonna get caught is what it is and this is it's getting out of hand here uh let's move on here the unification ministry of course going through a major overhaul as the UN administration uh, has taken a vastly different approach when it comes to inter-korean issues uh, if you compare that to for example the former uh moon jae in administration uh they're going to be slimming down and reforming its organizational structure amid these stall talks and exchanges uh between the two koreas so Talon, let's get the details of this right the unification ministry said today it plans to downsize and overhaul its organizational structure including units that oversee inter-korean exchanges this comes amid strained ties and continued exchange of hostilities between the two koreas with no sign of resumption in any form of dialogue or exchanges. The overhaul is largely aimed at reducing efforts and uh, manpower in seeking inter-Korean dialogue and exchanges while expanding the role of analyzing the situation in the North and informing South Korea and the world about the current status of the North Korean regime. And in the process, tighter communication is expected between the Unification Ministry and uh, the National Intelligence 
Intelligence Service. Under the plan, the ministry plans to cut 81 employees, or over 10% of its workforce, and merge four divisions, including those that oversee inter-Korean exchanges and the operation of a now-defunct joint industrial complex in the north into one. The abolishment of the department in charge of inter-Korean exchanges marks the first in 30 years. As you know, President Jun Sung-yeol has been urging for a change in the ministry's function and structure since earlier this year, slamming the ministry that it should no longer act like a support agency for the North Korean regime. To prevent a potential policy vacuum from the overhaul, the ministry said it plans to flexibly run its organization should inter-Korean ties shift to a stage of dialogue and exchange, uh, which is very unlikely for now. Uh, at the same time, the government plans to establish new units, such as a task force aimed at addressing the issue of abductees and detainees in the North and bolster its role in areas of analyzing intelligence and raising public awareness on reunification. Vice Unification Minister Yoon Seung-hyun previously told reporters that the envisioned plan uh, factored in how South-North exchanges and dialogue have been suspended and comes from the notion that a flexible competitive and efficient organization that's fitting to international political circumstances is necessary. Following a six-day period from announcing the envisioned measures to the general public, the plan is set to go into effect following a vice ministerial meeting on August 31st and a cabinet meeting on September 5th. Let's move on here. Uh, let's talk about COVID-19. Uh, COVID-19 infections have been dropping for the first time in nearly two months uh, just last week. And Korea is going to be finally lowering the infection level of COVID-19 to the lowest category. This in order to manage the disease, like, for example, seasonal flu. Uh, Hejun, let's get the latest updates on this. Sure. Korean health authorities are lifting nearly all antivirus curbs and fully returning to pre-pandemic normalcy. Now, the government will change the COVID-19 infection level from Class 2 to Class 4 and manage the virus within the general healthcare system while shifting focus from counting daily cases to protecting high-risk populations. Now, patients infected with Class 2 diseases like tuberculosis or measles are isolated by health authorities, but class 4 diseases, the lowest of the country's infection level, like the flu, just requires specimen-based surveillance. Now, COVID-19 was categorized as class 1 in January 2020 and lowered to the second level in April last year. Now, the measure aimed at implementing a full transition to a normal state for the medical system will take effect on August 31st. The decision comes as the country reported a daily average of 40,400 new infections for the week of August 15th to the 21st, down 17.7% from the 49,000 a week earlier, snapping seven consecutive weeks of growth. The number of COVID-19 deaths also fell 11% on week to 130, compared to 146 the previous week. The reproduction number for COVID, which refers to the estimated number of new infections created by, the single, by a single disease, fell below one. Now, this number indicates contagiousness and transmissibility of infectious pathogens. And if this number points to above one, it indicates an outbreak of a disease. And starting 
Thursday, the government will discontinue the daily tally of confirmed COVID-19 cases, which has been in place since the outbreak of the pandemic. But the mask mandate will remain at hospitals and nursing homes as a measure of protection for those vulnerable to the virus. Also, the government will still cover part of the hospitalization costs of seriously ill patients throughout the end of this year and provide vaccines and treatments free of charge to minimize the burden on the public. Yeah, I mean, we've been hearing a number of people even around us uh, getting COVID for like the second time a third time around. We had one of our guests, uh, Brooke, on Mondays, right? Uh, She had it the third time uh, earlier this year. Uh, And uh, some people are saying it's getting worse. Uh, Some people are saying that it's not as bad as like the the first time around. Uh, But the figures are interesting because we used to, I mean, they're the height of the uh, the pandemic. We're looking at these uh, numbers on a daily basis. But yeah, it is on a uh, a downward uh, trend right now. The only concerning thing, I believe, is that the the death toll, uh, daily death toll hasn't been dropping that Uh, drastically and uh, other numbers that's quite interesting after about uh, more than three years now uh, so far the total accumulated number of infection cases in South Korea is 34 million 179,800 but I don't know if they count like twice and three times if you've been infected more than once or anything like that but that's a pretty high figure considering South Korea has a population of uh, 51 so Basically, pretty much almost everyone uh, has gotten COVID-19 so far. Uh, But also, other than the COVID variants that we've been talking about, we've also had the adenovirus and malaria that we need to be aware of. Malaria, oh my goodness. Uh, Hejong, do tell us who's vulnerable and what we should uh, know to keep ourselves uh, safe from all this. Sure. First off, for the adenovirus, uh, adenovirus infections are most common in infants and children up to age six, as they account for 89% of those hospitalized for adenovirus infection. Now, the number of hospitalized individuals with this infection in the week of August 6th to the 12th shot up 636, more than double the number showed in the same period of 2018 and 2019. Adenoviruses have the potential to spread through respiratory droplets, direct and direct contact with someone infected. And the contagion is significant enough to be transmitted through the sharing of towels or even toys among immunocompromised infants and young children. And as for the symptoms, patients may present cold symptoms like fever, cough, and pink eye, and eye crusting as well as nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. Uh, Next, moving on to malaria, health authorities have urged citizens to heighten their safety measures as the number of mosquitoes that can transmit the disease has increased rapidly this summer due to heat waves and torrential rain. The number of malaria cases in South Korea has already exceeded 500. Now, this is more than the 420 cases that occurred all of last year. And at the current rate, the number of cases could reach 700 by the end of the year for the first time since 2011. Symptoms are mainly characterized by cold-like symptoms like the adenovirus, and typically the symptoms appear after a short incubation period of 7 to 20 days, but sometimes even up to 6 to 12 months. Now, the best way to prevent malaria is, of course, to avoid being bitten by mosquitoes. So when outdoors, minimize skin exposure and make sure to use mosquito repellent. we're going to be uh, going back to talking about uh, COVID-19 because the World Health Organization has announced another addition to their list uh, tracking variants of COVID-19. And the latest one 
uh, is nicknamed Parola. Uh, Tan, sounds cute, but there's nothing cute about COVID-19 variants. Uh, tell us more about this. Right. Described by the WHO as a new variant of the virus that causes COVID-19, the mutation has some distinctions from other uh, currently circulating variants. BA.2.86, nicknamed Parola, was added to the WHO's watch list in addition to its long list of SARS-CoV-2 variants under monitoring. The latest variant is garnering attention despite the small number of officially reported cases because of the fast speed of its uh, transmissions. There were only a few confirmed cases reported until recently, but the virus has now been detected in multiple countries across multiple continents, including the United States, Denmark, Israel, and the UK. Classified by the WHO as having a large number of mutations, Parola has 30 spike protein mutations that differ from XBB.1.5, meaning it's more immune evasive or more likely to subvert immunities built up by your body. And according to top U.S. experts, BA.2.86 in simpler terms is one of the 1,680 Omicron variants. Numerous Omicron variants are still circulating globally, but BA.2.86 is a descendant of Omicron BA.2, which is not currently in circulation. Experts are unsure if the new variant poses any risks beyond the variants that are already widely circling. But what we do know is that with many countries no longer reporting to a centralized COVID tracking system, cases are now generally tracked by less reliable standards, largely hospitalizations and wastewater data. And so this is hampering exact tracking of new variants. And experts say that BA.2.86 indeed carries the risk of becoming internationally widespread. And as it spreads, it could accumulate more mutations. Again, I mean, uh, that's the big thing. The big worry right now is so far, I mean, uh, the mutation hasn't been as bad. If you consider, for example, like the uh, the Delta variants, which I think wrecked havoc uh, during the height of the pandemic. But the, 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 the possibility that this could evolve into other uh, potentially more, uh, I guess, uh, invasive and uh, stronger uh, variants out there is always a concern that we have in my minds, in our minds. Uh, so we'll continue to keep a close track uh, on the COVID-19 issues here. But for now, guys, thank you very much for your reports this evening. Have a safe one, and we'll see you guys again. Thank, thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.